you'll come with me to the book of John. Now, as Jack was talking about Asa and talking about his faithfulness through the younger years and then him trying to depend on himself or others instead of God in those later years, it made me think of an important point that's relevant to where we are in today's service. Because we're at that point where typically it becomes a little bit harder to, to focus. Uh, we may start to drift towards a desire to eat some lunch and things of that nature. And it comes back to a saying that I'd heard and it's kind of stuck in with me, especially in my coaching. The way you do one thing is the way you'll do everything. And so often we'll be talking to the kids about these workouts and there's that tendency you get towards the end of a hard workout or really any workout and you just want to get it over with. You're tired of being tired. There's discomfort, there's pain, and you just want to get it over with. But really, what's happening there is you've done a lot of work to get to that point to where now you have an opportunity to change yourself physically and mentally. And your concentration, your focus should be at its highest. But you're just ready to get it over with because you're tired of being tired. And that's a human complex there that we have to struggle with. But if you think back to Asa, and then you, you do one thing is the way you do all things, I think there's something to be said in life for trying to be a great finisher in everything that you do and trying to work against the tendencies of man and human nature so that we can walk by faith, we can walk by the Spirit so that we can be like Jesus. So we're about to come into the Gospel of John and talk about the incom incomparable Christ. I mean, what could be of more importance? But it's a challenge to us. Will we truly put our minds and hearts to where they need to be and try to absorb these thoughts? Because the thing that John wants from us in his Gospel is not mental assent or intellectual agreement. He wants belief. He wants faith, a life-changing faith, a faith that says, I'll put aside the temporary pleasures of life and I will serve. Which brings me to the, the first point of today's lesson and thinking about this, you know, you might hear something like salvation and if you allow yourself to be drawn to things like the movies and so forth, you know, we love heroes and there are certain movies where this one character, or maybe it's a group, they kind of have that hero complex and there's somebody in need or a group in need and here comes their savior. We get excited about that. And especially as young people, they're drawn to that and they want to be like that hero. But that's very distracting as far as what's really going on in this life and especially spiritually. And so we have to kind of pull ourselves away from that. We get very distracted in life and Oftentimes, we don't even really think about and meditate upon some of these huge questions. Like, who am I? Why am I here? And what am I supposed to do? What happens when I die? These are huge questions. And of course, we know where to go to get the answers. But there's a lot of people that don't. There's a lot of people that are in darkness and they seek out answers from places like the movies and they try to conceptualize or philosophize about things that they hear and see and they, they hear people with PhDs or 
something else that would make them seem like they may know what they're talking about and they hold on to those things and they walk a path based upon these lies, based upon these falsehoods. And they're walking a path of destruction because of that. You know, mind, body, spirit. Where does this spirit come from? Well, perhaps there's a tree like that movie Avatar, right? And if you find that tree, then there's the spirit. I mean, there's people out there that have lots of crazy ideas. Like I said, we know where to go to be grounded in truth. We know that the Father talked through, or God the Father talked to the fathers and the prophets, and now he speaks through the Son. And we've been looking through the story of David, considering all that the Lord has said about his anointed and ultimately that final solution, Jesus, the incomparable Christ. And we will, we'll get back to the story of David and look at those you know, parallels and continue to learn about Jesus through David, but we'll also be coming to the book of John. And one of the main reasons, John's different than the other Gospels. Upon the time that John was written, the other three Gospels were being circulated, circulated and, you know, there's no reason for God to tread upon those paths. And so John's not so much a, a narrative. Yes, there are narrative stories in it, but it's not a narrative like the other Gospels. John decided that he was going to use seven signs, even though he relates that there were many other signs that were recorded in the presence of the disciples or that happened in the presence of the disciples. But he chose seven signs in order to impart faith. And like we said, it's not faith that just intellectual agreement. We're talking about life-changing faith. So later in the book, he says this to give us the purpose of the gospel here. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So yes, that you would believe, but ultimately so that you may have life. And that's where we come back to the truth that we find in God's word. There's only one that can give life. Man is born, man grows, and we know inevitably Man comes upon his darkness and the weakness of his flesh and he stumbles, he sins, he separates himself from God and we know there's only one solution and we must find it in Jesus. We must find forgiveness of sins through the blood of Jesus Christ and there is no other solution. There's no other teacher, prophet, religion, idol, thing, anything, book that you can find that's going to provide what we need for salvation. And of course, we understand that. But there's a lot of people that live in darkness and do not fully understand that. And so as we consider what John has before us, let's go to the first five verses of chapter 1 and see where John begins his gospel. It's not with a genealogy, and there's a reason for that. Let's consider these verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The first few words of John are astounding. In the beginning was the Word. We know that the Word is in reference to Jesus because of verse 14. Quote, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now in Revelation chapter 19, verse 13, this is where Jesus, who's subjugated his enemies at this point in the account, there's this beautiful symbolism riding on the white horse. That's why we have the picture of the white horse here. But John writes there, quote, and the name by which he is called 
is the word of God, end quote. And we know that the Holy Scriptures begin, quote, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And we notice at the beginning of John's gospel, specific words, in the beginning was God. Or in the beginning was the word, was the word. It doesn't say that it became God or came to God, it was, meaning that it was already there at the beginning of God's creation. The Christ was present. He's making the point that Jesus is God, a controversial point getting right to the heart of the matter at the beginning of his gospel. So he's not just a mere teacher or prophet or not even a created being. Jesus is God. No beginning, no end, eternal. And then he provides three proofs. So John makes this huge, astounding, staggering statement. Jesus is God. And then he proves it in three ways. Looking at the first from verse 3, all things being created through him, through Jesus. So we consider how he declares that all things were made through the word. And we read from the beginning that God created the heavens and the earth. John wants us to know that Jesus was involved in that creation. So consider what you know, Paul wrote to the Colossians, because he also you know, confirms or affirms this truth. Paul wrote, quote, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus is fully divine. Jesus is God. And John later saying in uh, 1 John, and without him was not, or John here in this chapter 1, I mean, and without him was not anything made that was made. That should rest heavy upon us as we think about Jesus being the Christ. It's not just a mere man, teacher, or prophet. He's fully God. Now, as we consider this, it all should show, should show us our relationship to him as our creator. We are a part of what he created, a part of his creation. And therefore, there's a responsibility that we have as the created being to our creator. And the second point that John makes or in his proof that Jesus is God is that the life is in Jesus. Notice that he doesn't speak of life, you know, receiving life from Jesus or that Jesus gives life, even though that would be true too. But he speaks of the life being in him. In the word was life. The use of these particular words are extremely important. Now, we talked about John's gospel not being so much a narrative like the other three, but it is highly symbolic and highly spiritual, and this is one of those senses in that it's spiritual. Jesus can give, and in him is spiritual life, eternal life. There is nowhere else to obtain that kind of life, but in Jesus, he is life. Life is in him. So notice as it talks about that, that John's specific words 
or that life was in him. And this is the second reason that affirms that Jesus is God. He's fully divine. And so when we learn to accept this, we learn to rely on him for everything. And that's a hard thing for human beings to do. We have the tendency to try to do things ourselves, pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. But when we consider that Jesus truly has life and that life is only in him, then we go to him for that life and learn to drink from him in all things. That's something that has to be reflected upon, meditated upon in all areas of our life. It's not something that we can just intellectually agree with and then move on. The illustration of the desert is what helps me tremendously. Because if we see this as it truly is, then what we understand is we're walking in the desert. You can even go back and use the analogy with Israel. We're walking towards the promised land, but we're wandering in the desert, waiting for our opportunity to enter the promised land. And there's only one fountain that gives living water, and that's Jesus. If we try to go anywhere else, or bypass Jesus, then we are guaranteeing our death. And we know in the world that there's people that seek life in so many different things. There's even people that have good intentions. They try to use their means in order to do charitable things or, you know, these huge projects to make the world a better place. And then, of course, there's some that are lost in their selfish ways and any other thing they might think of in order to find life or mean purpose and meaning to their life. But we have to understand and see that Jesus is the only fountain that gives living water. And then all areas of our life need to reflect that understanding and we have to learn to rely on him for everything. And as we model that in our life, then hopefully others will see that and they'll see the fruit of that in our life. And then we can lead them to that fountain and let them drink of Jesus as well because he's the only one that gives life. Any other path is guaranteed death. Now, the third reason that John gives us in that Jesus is God is that he is light. And I know in a very physical sense, we could easily say, well, yeah, of course, physical light in which it guides us. But once again, this gospel is highly symbolic and highly spiritual. So he's not necessarily talking about physical light. John's playing again on this creation imagery and showing us that Jesus is spiritual light. So only in him is there spiritual awakening and perception and knowledge and understanding. And, and we can see that. We see the evidence of that when we're out in the world and we're talking to people about the gospel or God's word. And we see how their darkened minds and hearts will reject things that are as plain as day to us that are so easy to understand. And it's because they are consumed in darkness. They cannot see. And unless they will receive the light of Jesus, they will not be able to see. And that is something that takes us beyond physical light. It shows what Jesus is able to do in the minds and hearts of people when people open up their minds and hearts and allow Jesus to come in and be that light. There's lots of Scriptures that we could go to that would illuminate this idea of this spiritual light, such as Psalm 27 and 36 and reads in 1 John chapter 1 verse 5 that in the letter that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. But let's look at some of the things that the Apostle Paul wrote. In Colossians chapter 1 verse 13, he says he has delivered us 
from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. He's taken out of us out of the darkness. And now we have this spiritual light, this awakening, this perception and knowledge and understanding so that we can truly see the illuminated path. Again, uh, John actually writes later in this gospel, this chapter 8, verse 12, that Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have light of life. And then, of course, Paul continuing to some of the other Christians in Romans chapter 21, verse 21, he said, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. When man goes about his way in his futile thinking and his wisdom, darkness. God's way is illuminated by the light that Jesus can give. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 18, Paul relates, they are darkened in their understanding, understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. If we could remove the ignorance, remove the hardness of heart, then Jesus can shine the light and show them the way. They can see and walk the way of God. Now, Paul relates to, to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Verses 4 through 6 says, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Satan, through his many schemes and ways, wants us to remain in that domain of darkness. It is Jesus and Jesus alone that is the light. He's the one that can illuminate the minds and hearts of people so that they can see God's way and walk it faithfully. So we have to be able to, so to speak, become that salt and light and help show people the way that spiritual understanding and illumination that allows people to walk into salvation. So life is in Jesus and Jesus is the light. He can show us the way and allow our minds and hearts to see and perceive and understand and walk and abide in it by faith. Now, to come to a conclusion, we, of course, all understand and agree that victory is in Christ. Today, it was yesterday, it will be tomorrow, and, and of course, forever. But as we consider the first five verses of John's gospel, we must remember these points that Jesus is God. And the three points that John gave us, he's God because he created all things. He was there at the beginning when things were just dark and void. And he was a part of that creation, including us. He is life and he is light. So man coming of age and inevitably walking in the futile, they're thinking and staying in darkness. The only solution, of course, is to go to the incomparable Christ. That's the only one that can take us out of darkness and transfer us into the kingdom of God. And then lastly, and this is the, the part for us that have been walking in the light, we must learn to 
rely on Jesus for everything. The way we do one thing is the way we typically do everything. So do we have a habit of trying to do things ourselves? Or do we have a habit of going to God in prayer? The true source of all power and wisdom and seeking out his spiritual discernment in his eyes and trying to do things his way or at least asking for his help and trying to discern what he would have of us and seek to live a life that's pleasing to him as compared to a life where we get caught up trying to please people or obtain the things that may be the desires of our heart when our heart doesn't fully belong to God. That's something we have to meditate on, something that we have to pray about. So I want to end with just us imagining what this might look like if we were going to illustrate it. And if we could put ourselves in the shoes of a person that might be in an an all-dark, consuming forest. And if you've seen movies like The Hobbit, then you can really conceptualize this because they get into these types of situations. I think about uh, the one with the spider and all that type of stuff. And like there literally is no light. And everywhere they look is danger and possibly death. And if we put ourselves into reality, I mean, that could very easily happen. If you get yourself into the forest and the sun goes down, there is no natural or artificial light that's going to help you. You could walk right off the edge of a cliff and die and never have perceived it, except for when you were following. Falling. Creature, wild creature could take you. You're there long enough. Disease or dehydration. Any of these things could take your life. And the mental anguish that you'd be going through as you think about maybe family or, or whatever it is that makes you want to get out of that forest and get into safety, this is what we walk in when we walk in the domain of darkness in this life. That's what it truly is. Except with man, we're pretty puffed up. And we think maybe that we found salvation in something or we found something meaningful or I'm doing something good like those that are very you know, using their money to do good things or make the world a better place, they feel like their life is meaningful and they're doing what they should do and that they're living a good life. But we know that there's going to come a time where those who are not in Christ will find out different, that this life was about being in him and serving the kingdom, using the gifts and abilities God has given us for his service. That's what this life is about. So although it looks good in appearances and may even feel good, it's wrong. That's not what this life is about. Our creator, Jesus, our creator has given us and revealed to us what this life's about. So as we consider what you know, our responsibility is in that, it's helping pull people from that dark forest. And there's an illuminated path. We know it. And hopefully we are walking it diligently every day. Could you imagine being in that forest and then all of a sudden there's this illuminated path that will pull you from your anguish. You sense comfort on the path. You sense peace on the path. And so you go to the path and you find that comfort, that peace, this sense of, you know, your soul is finally well. This is where I belong. This fulfillment, this completeness that had not been, you know, with you prior in this dark forest. But now you found it and you found people on this path that are going to walk with you and encourage you and be a community with you. And then ultimately you find out that the path doesn't end. This path continues on and on with these people of this community that are going to encourage and help you. And at the end of this path is a kingdom 
where we can reside forever with the loving God that will provide and make us full and whole forever? Yes, that's something that I want. But we have to understand that a lot of people in the world don't see that. They don't understand that they're in that forest. And it's for us to take things from the word of God, like the gospel of John, which, remember, was written to produce faith, a life-changing faith, so that we may have life. So I know it's so easy to get distracted out in the world. We all do that. But we have to keep pulling ourselves back through daily reading of the word and prayer to our spiritually focused minds and the mission that we've been given together. We have an incomparable Christ. There is nothing in this life, no movie, no actor, no story outside the story that God has given us for salvation that can do what Jesus can do. And we have to be willing to continue to point people to that for all of our life and be faithful like Abraham leading all the way up to all 175 years of his life unto a death that served the Lord. So I hope these thoughts have at least encouraged you or give you something to think about. Thank you for your attention. If there be anyone who needs to respond to this incomparable Christ, please come as we stand and sing.